Hello, and welcome back to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. Today, we're going to be learning about how women secured the right to vote in the United States. I'm going to tell you how things got incredibly heated in the debate and how the decision came down to one man in a tie-breaking vote. Buckle up, because we have a lot to cover. Usually, I like to give some background on why I'm going to share a particular story, but today I couldn't tell you what made this topic pop into my head. A while back, I wrote a blog post on the subject of women getting the right to vote in the United States, and the story that I uncovered is just so wild that I felt like I had to share it here on the podcast. So let's set the scene. Today, we're going to focus on the course of a few days in August of 1920, when the 19th Amendment was passed. There, of course, was a ton of work that was done before this time and after to advance women, but for the sake of our story, I'm going to be narrowing it down to just a few days. So in order for the amendment to be passed for the Constitution to give women the right to vote, so the 19th Amendment um, in the 1920s for this fight for suffrage or allowing women to vote, there were 36 states that needed to approve the amendment. By the spring of 1920, 35 states had approved it, six states had said no, and Tennessee was the last remaining deciding state. So as you can imagine, people were wound up. There are two groups that you need to know about for this story. The first is the group that's called the suffrage supporters. So these are the people who want women to be able to vote. And then the second group is called the anti-suffrage supporters. These are the people who did not want women to be able to vote. And interestingly, there were actually many women in the anti-suffrage camp. I was researching their reasoning, and the main points that I found were, number one, they felt that women voting would disturb home life, so women would not be in their rightful place in the home or able to focus on what they're supposed to. The second was that women were not well-informed enough to make good voting decisions. And the third, which I think is a contradicting point, is that if women voted, it wouldn't actually make a difference because there would be just as many women on one side of an issue as another, which to me, if you are well-informed, you may just as easily fall on one side of an issue versus another. So I, I struggled a bit with that reasoning being associated with this anti-suffrage camp. But anyway, that's how they felt about it. So since Tennessee was going to be this deciding factor, supporters on both sides of the issue descended upon Nashville, and they tried to influence the legislature. Now, this is where the fun of our story begins. So first, let's talk about how you would know if someone was a suffragist or an anti-suffragist without having a conversation with them and having them tell you. It's actually quite a feminine approach, I think, um, that was taken to identifying these two camps. The suffragists wore yellow roses, so the people who wanted women to vote, they were in yellow roses, and the anti-suffragists wore red roses, so nope, we don't want women to vote, we're wearing red roses. Now, the florists of Nashville were thrilled, of course. They were doing a ton of business while these groups were in Nashville. However, everyday people were having 
roses forced upon them. So they were feeling a little bit less enthusiastic. I mean, can you just imagine these groups running around trying to hand out red and yellow roses and convince people to support either side? Now, Aside from roses, there were many tactics that were being used to actually influence the people who would be voting on this, which was the legislature. And of course, it was an all-male group. Um, The anti-suffragists, they kind of started this. They had this idea of, let's invite the members of the legislature to join us in the hotel that we're staying at, in these hotel suites, so we can get them alone and we can talk to them. And it turned out that both the suffragists and the anti-suffragists were staying in the same hotel, um, a place called the Hermitage. So you can only start to imagine the run-ins that must have been going on in the hallways and the rousing discussions that you could hear through the walls while both of these very passionate groups were trying to convince the legislature to go their way. Another tactic they used was handing out free Tennessee whiskey and old bourbon, including the local favorite called Jack Daniel's in the raw, and this came to be known as being handed out in the Jack Daniels suite in the hotel. So just think about this, right? We have suffragists and anti-suffragists running around in Nashville in this hotel. They're handing out alcohol. They're inviting men back to their rooms and trying to sway them. And they were very systematic about how they were doing this. Each group was trying to identify who were the bribable members. So who were the people who would be willing to be swayed and bribed? And these bribes were very uh, interesting. There were some that was just, okay, we're going to give them a gift. They actually were offering sex to members of the legislature, and they threatened to kidnap some of them. Um, They were trying on both sides to be as compelling as possible. Now, when they were heading into the vote, things were looking kind of bleak for the suffragists. It wasn't looking like it was going to go their way. Let's fast forward a few days now. We're actually going to be getting down to the vote. So a whole group of men are going to vote on if women should be allowed to vote. Um, After making it through the days and the final night leading up to the vote, we're here for the main event. And you can kind of picture this. The room was packed, and I would imagine it probably smelled quite fragrant with all the roses in there. Um, But it was super hot because we're in the South in August. There's no air conditioning and they're getting ready to cast their votes and an audience could come in and watch. It wasn't like a closed off private thing. So the groups were really carefully counting these votes as each member was saying aloud, you know, yes or no on the topic of should we allow for a constitutional amendment for the right to vote for women? By the audience counting, the votes came in at 49 against the amendment and 47 for the amendment. So this means the anti-suffragists were cheering. They were going wild. They were so excited. Uh, But wait, the clerk hastily corrected everyone and said, no, actually this vote is tied 48 to 48. The room went nuts. Delegates, they were jump the delegates who were, you know, voting, they were jumping out of their seats, they were shouting. The audience was protesting. The anti-suffragists were yelling saying, "We need a revote." I mean, some of the delegates delegates nearly came to blows. Everyone was absolutely losing their minds. The clerk, he was forced to call for a second vote to to make sure that it actually went the way that it was supposed to. 
Seth Walker, a delegate and an anti-suffragist, he went over to a guy named Banks Turner, and he was a delegate who up until this point had been voting anti-suffragists. So Seth put his arms around Banks' shoulder because he was trying to figure out why in the last vote it was Turner who had changed sides. And then Turner did so again for the second vote. So we're tied once more. And they're like, okay, we're going to do a final vote. Are we going to be able to break this tie? Let's meet the guy who was the tiebreaker. As the roll call began again, a guy named Harry Byrne, who was a young delegate, decided to change his vote and to support ratification of the amendment, meaning he was going to support the right to vote. Now, why would he do this? In the first two rounds, he was voting against the amendment. Now he's voting for it. Well, it turns out that he had received a letter from his mother earlier in the day, and the mother had said, Hurrah and vote suffrage. Don't forget to be a good boy and help Mrs. Cat put the rat in ratification. Mrs. Cat was a leader of the, the suffrage movement. So when the final vote was held, Harry voted in favor of suffrage, and once again, everyone was freaking out. The anti-suffragists were yelling at Byrne, and he actually had to make a daring escape. He ran to the clerk's room, he climbed out of a window, he ended up inside of the library, and then he was finally able to escape out of the Capitol. Now, All was not over just yet because Walker, he made a move for reconsideration and he was allowed to call for a vote again anytime over the next three days. So now things were super intense because the suffragists could not afford to lose a single vote and the anti-suffragists were like, we need to start stealing some men back. The tactics that the anti-suffragists used to try to get people back to their side ranged from sending fake telegrams claiming to the delegates that there's some emergency back home and trying to get them to just leave Nashville altogether. Um, They concocted fake bribes to try and frame Harry Byrne and say that, you know, he had been bribed to change his vote and that he should not be considered to have been an honorable vote. I mean, there were threats of all nature going on. And the hotel where everyone was staying was heavily guarded and it was being patrolled. And of course, the Jack Daniels suite, it continued to do its business. Um, But despite all of these efforts, nothing changed. The amendment was ratified. Now, this sounds, of course, like it should be the end of the story, but unfortunately, we have to acknowledge that it wasn't always easy for women to vote. um, And it was especially difficult for black women. The Voting Rights Act, uh, 45 years later, finally put on paper that racial discrimination in voting is prohibited. I want to share a little aside because there were some states where women had the right to vote before the 19th Amendment was passed, and one of those was my home state of New Jersey. Um, Now, even though they had this right, they didn't really get to keep it for very long, primarily because there was a lot of voting shenanigans that went on 
truly unlike anything that we see today. And I feel like it's important to point out that basically everything that we go through is not ever unprecedented uh, because history repeats itself over and over. So I just want to give you an example of like actual real voting shenanigans that went on. Um, And it's kind of pretty close to where I was raised. Um, So in 1806, there was going to be a vote about the location of a new courthouse for Essex County, which is where I grew up. Um, It was presently in Newark, and they were voting on should we move it to Elizabethtown. On the first day of voting, everything went fine. On the second day of voting, the numbers were starting to look off. And then on the third day, all hell broke loose. There was voting fraud being committed like you would not believe. Men and boys were voting unchallenged as they went from poll to poll, casting and recasting votes. They were using wagons to transport voters more quickly between different poll sites so they could vote again. Women, black people, white people, single people, married people, they were all voting repeatedly. And this, I was like dying when I read this. There were men and boys um, who wanted to vote again, who were putting on hats and petticoats so that they would not be recognized at the same polling place. So I guess it wasn't enough to just go from one polling location to another. They wanted to show up and vote again at the same polling place and had to put on a disguise. The most votes up until this point that had ever been cast in an Essex County election was 4,500. And in this vote, there were 14,000 votes casts. So you can say that things were a little off. The next year, the right to vote for women was taken away in New Jersey, and it would not be returned again until the passing of the 19th Amendment, the story that we just talked about. So there you have it. That is the story of a few impactful days in August in Tennessee, where the decision was made to give women the right to vote in the United States. We learned about the tactics that were used by both sides, the swing vote by Harry Byrne, thank you, Harry, and how there were some progressive states like New Jersey who used to allow women the right to vote before all of that shenanigans went on. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Stories New and Old on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow me on Instagram to get teasers for new episodes, and you can check out my blog for more great history content. If you're so inclined, please rate and review this episode as it helps me come up with new ideas, and it's a wonderful way to support this podcast. Thank you for listening to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. I will see you next time. Thank you.